Welcome to Season 2 of Passing the Peace, featuring Amy Meyer and Nancy McCraney. Passing the Peace is a podcast with a progressive look at faith, religion, God, the Bible, and some other stuff. If you're listening right now, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace, you can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. On this episode, we talk about things like self-care and digging a deeper spiritual well from which we can draw. We talk about being depleted. And we don't talk a whole lot about the pandemic really specifically, but everything we say can definitely be applied to the pandemic and to this crazy Delta variant whiplash that we're all experiencing. And regardless, this podcast is designed to help you prepare for those times in your life when things might not be going as planned. And we do all of this while looking at the Bible story about the 10 bridesmaids. And you preach from the lectionary from Matthew 25, 1 through 13, an interesting story about the 10 bridesmaids and their oil lamps waiting for the bridegroom. And you have read that story all my life. And I think I had some of the sort of ingrained responses from hearing that story, you know, so many times through the years, maybe some of the same responses you had. Mm-hmm. And and maybe some confusion about it too. Like, what are all these bridesmaids doing? And what's taking the bridegroom so long? And right. why didn't they have enough oil for the lamp? And why didn't the other bridesmaids like say, oh yeah, sure, we'll loan you some. Like, what's the deal? What's happening here? Right. You know, and for Jesus to say the kingdom of God will be like, these 10 bridesmaids. And I, I loved how you elucidated that story and played with it a little bit. So here's a little bit about that story. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven will be like a wedding banquet. And then he goes on to talk about this one wedding where there were 10 bridesmaids. Weddings in the Middle East were days long affairs. Yeah. Day long, you know, they weren't, it wasn't just you show up at 7.30 and the weddings at 7.45, you show up and the wedding starts when the bridegroom has made the deal with the bride's family. And that's when the wedding feast starts. Yeah. The bridesmaids needed to have some oil for their lamps because it was their job to be the ones to alert everyone when the wedding was going to start. And you never knew when that would be. It could be getting dark outside when it happens, or it could even be the middle of the night. So in this story, five of the bridesmaids had enough oil and five did not. So I liked that you highlighted that, that that was their job. And so they had to have their lamps ready because it could happen in the middle of the night. And they needed to go call all the guests and say, it's time, let's go to the banquet hall. And, you know, it's it's time for the wedding feast. I think that put it all in in context. And then it made sense that they would have gone to sleep. The bridesmaids would have fallen asleep because they're waiting, waiting, waiting for this bridegroom. And then the shout goes out, here here he comes, here comes the groom, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, and the, the five that had enough oil were ready and the five that hadn't, they hadn't really stocked up on enough oil for their lamp. They were, you know, they were caught short and asked, Hey, can you loan us some of your oil? 
And the five wise bridesmaids, as the text calls them, says, no, you know, you're going to have to go, you know, quick, go see if you can buy some, but we won't have enough for you and us both. And so then the, the five wise bridesmaids go on, they go into the banquet hall, the banquet starts, apparently the five foolish bridesmaids, as the text refers to them, I guess they find some oil. So they show up at the banquet hall and they cry out, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he replies, no, I don't even know you. This party has started, you know, you've, you've missed out. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's just there's a lot in there. And, um, and I, I think it's worth noting that Jesus uses, and not just Jesus, I mean, throughout Scripture, this idea of a bridal feast, of a, a wedding banquet, yeah. of, you know, God is is a, a, a bridegroom and creation is a bride. And it's such a joyful, anticipatory, uh, exciting kind of image of this is what the kingdom of God is like, that that's what we're headed for is this divine unity, like this intimate, deep, passionate, loving relationship with the one who made us and that we come from that. And that is the direction in which we're headed. And I think you, you think about that and how many references there are in scripture to this bride, bridegroom outside of gender. I don't think that's even part of it because it's a metaphor, you know, but this bride and bridegroom imagery. And then you think of this prevalent image in a lot of religious circles of this angry, vengeful God. And it's like, who would want to marry somebody like that? And why would that guy want to marry creation that he's so pissed at anyway, or so angry at anyway? Like that doesn't, but it's so interesting that that has sort of caught on in a lot of Christendom or Christianity and this other sort of beckoning, you know, loving, exciting image is the one that's a lot more prevalent. Does that make yes, any sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. We'll get back to that wedding metaphor in just a second. But first, I'm going to let you hear me talking about some retail therapy that I was doing. And you'll just have to trust me that it's all going to circle back around together. Now, while I'm speaking in this audio, I'm outside speaking to this large group of cars with people sitting in the cars listening to me through their radios and you can kind of hear the sound of the outdoors and you can also kind of hear my feet clunking around in my big boots on the back of the truck that I was standing on Uh, but I think you'll appreciate how it sounds considering the situation. So most of you have probably heard of the term retail therapy. Retail therapy is this idea that when you buy something on an impulse, if you're feeling a little bit down, it might make you feel better. It might boost your mood a little bit to get that package in the mail, to buy a little something for yourself. And it turns out that many people, according to the surveys, have been getting through the pandemic using retail therapy. And that surprised me because I kind of thought that maybe with the pandemic and with the economy and with people losing their jobs and things like that, that maybe there would be much less spending than usual. But it turns out that online impulse buying has actually gone up during the pandemic 
something between 20 and 30 percent, according to the articles that I was reading this week. And according to the surveys, it says that many of the people have said that they actually do feel a little bit better, at least for the short term, when they make those pandemic impulse buys. My impulse buy this past week was a set of candles from Bath and Body Works. So it was, you know, the weather was changing and I decided well, I need some fall scents in my house. So I went online to Bath and Body Works and it turns out that their three wick candles were on sale the day that I was looking. Only that day, I think. It was the last day of the sale. So I don't know if it's still considered an impulse buy if you spend over an hour reading all the reviews of the different fall scents, trying to decide which fall scent you want to buy. But then there was also the situation where I was trying to decide, am I gonna get the larger three wick candle, which was on sale, or was I gonna get the smaller one wick candle, which costs less. But the three wick candle, which was on sale, uh, you just get more candle to burn for your money. So that's what I was that's what I was doing in front of my computer about a week ago. I loved how you talked about, you know, retail therapy. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> like we all know what retail therapy is. And then you brought up how during the pandemic, people have actually been shopping more online than less, mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense when you think about it. It's like, what else are you going to do? And yeah. that you had been shopping just that week for scented candles because yeah. the weather had turned kind of fallish and and how much time you spent trying to figure out what was the best deal and which scent and I related to all of that. And I liked that it was like you were shopping for candles, which is parallel to these oil lamps in a way. Like yeah. it felt like that fit together. And I can imagine that the bridesmaids in Jesus's story might have been going through something similar. I can imagine that they were there at the oil shop talking to the oil dealer and they might have been thinking to themselves, do I really need to get extra oil or can I save that money for maybe an impulse buy later? Do I, do, you know, do I just get what I would probably practically need, or should I get extra and, and then not have that extra money left over? I'm, I'm thinking that maybe that's the process they were going through. And as it turns out, half of the bridesmaids didn't have enough oil, and the other half had extra oil to spare. And I have to admit, every time I've read this story, it seems almost impossible that half of the bridesmaids would be that short-sighted, right? I mean, every time I've read this story, I'm thinking, I would have never done that. I would have definitely had the extra oil. It's easy to think that, right? But if you think about it, these bridesmaids were just doing what we do all the time. We're always trying to figure out, should we spend that extra money on something that we might need or can we save it and use it for something else later? I can imagine that the bridesmaids were standing there and they might have been thinking to themselves, surely I won't need the extra oil. 
surely nothing will go wrong at a wedding. I'm just going to get what I practically need to get by. Surely nothing will go wrong here. I'm wondering, as I look out at a sea of cars with people wearing masks, if you've ever experienced anything going wrong. I mean, this year's been going pretty great so far, right? When things go wrong, when, when something terrible hits, if we are wise, then we have enough in our reserves, enough spiritual oil to keep going. We have something to hold on to. We have enough oil to bring a little bit of light to the darkness. And if we're really prepared, we have enough oil to create enough light to be a beacon for others. The good news is that we all have some spiritual oil. That's a free gift of grace from God. We all have some spiritual oil that's available to us. But then there's more oil that we can pick up if we're just willing to collect it. If we're willing to spend the time to engage in the spiritual practices that can fill our lamps. That's how we pick up that oil. So what spiritual practices might we do? So something simple like ethical living, right? Worship, which you're doing right now. Confession is important. We had the prayer of confession just a few minutes earlier. Prayer, need a prayer life. Scripture reading, study, and very important too, outreach. These are the spiritual practices that are our currency that we can use to collect more oil so that when something goes wrong, we have some in reserve. Well, another thing you mentioned, and I just thought this was the, this is when you had me like lock, stock and barrel or whatever the saying is, <laughs> you know, you said, um, but what about when things go wrong? You know, has that ever happened to any of you all? And then I'm sure everybody laughed. Yeah. Sort of this wry laugh because, you know, we were all in our cars, with the windows rolled up probably mostly. And, yeah. and, you know, talking about when things go wrong, when things fall apart, um, if we are wise, we have reserves to keep going. And that just, uh, I mean, I just feel tears sort of in my inside of myself as I even think about this past year mm -hmm. and how much reserves we have needed. Um, yeah. And you said, you know, just to bring a little light to the darkness or, or to be a beacon to others, we need enough. Um, just how important that is just to keep going. Yeah. And how easy it is, this is what I was thinking, to say, to just bypass that when life is going well. Like, oh, why would I spend extra time um, on stuff, 
you know, on things, on spiritual practices where I can't see an immediate benefit. Like what, you know, maybe I'm just, when I'm spending time in prayer every day, maybe I'm just playing make-believe. Maybe I'm just, who am I really talking to anyway? Like we can sort of play tricks on ourselves like that or think if I don't have this religious experience every time, then why bother? Instead of seeing it as like a practice, like exercise, like rest, like, (laughs) you know, something you do. And I had an experience, I think it was probably four years ago because both my boys were sort of older teenagers. They were, I think one was graduating and one was a sophomore in high school. And it was a really hard time. There was just a lot going on. And I was working, you know, like crazy and had this long commute. And I just remember I was in the middle of um, twice a year, we do this two week long volunteer training and it's really rigorous and it's nights and Saturdays and it takes a lot of getting ready. And then it takes a lot of energy during those two weeks because you're not just training people, you're also getting to know them and sort of assessing them. Are they going to be good for this program? And am I going to be able to, you know, send them out to visit patients? So there's all this stuff going on sort of mentally and emotionally and physically, and it's exhausting. Yeah. And so I always know I'm going to be tired, but this particular year, I, I thought maybe something was wrong with me. Like I thought maybe I need to go to the doctor. So I'm in the middle of this training And I called a friend of mine who's a therapist and I left her this, oh, I hope she deleted. It was a pathetic voicemail. I mean, I was, I was kind of weeping and I said, I think there's something wrong with me. I I, I just, I just wish I could disappear. Like, I don't want to hurt myself, but I just can't do this anymore. Mm. I'm so tired. I don't know how I'm going to do what I need to do in my life, much less the extra stuff. And she called me back and I remember she was just really kind and compassionate, but she said, tell me about your spiritual life right now. Like what's your spiritual practice right now? And I had to stop and think, oh shoot, you know, the odd prayer that I offer up. I listen to podcasts in the car and maybe sometimes they have to do with church. And I was like, oh my word, you know? I let it fall off the radar because Mm. I got busy. I didn't Mm -hmm. have time. You know, what's the point? Um, I'm this, I'm making confession right now, Amy. So (laughs) I went to my spiritual director um, and I told her, I said, you know, I've really been thinking about that. And I said, when I think about where I am right now, I feel like I'm on the rim of the Grand Canyon And I can see the water, but it's so far away. I don't know how I'm going to get to it. And I'm so thirsty. Mm. And she got really quiet. And she said, there's a ladder. You got to look for the ladder. And step by step, it'll take you to the water. And I I realized the ladder was a spiritual practice Mm -hmm. that I did every dang day, you know, Um, no matter what. And I have, I felt so bad that I am like um, obsessive about my daily practice. Like I don't get out of bed in the morning before I 
do my centering prayer. And I, I have an app now that helps me and it gives me little stars. I think I've talked about that before. Oh, that's cool. So that's real motivating. Now I don't even care about the stars. But for the first probably year, I would see, oh, how many days have I done this in a row? And it kept me going. And now I just know I better start my day that way. Um, you know, I, I do admire people that get up in the morning and go sit and, you know, write their morning pages. I'm not doing that. I'm. It's hard for me to get up in the morning on good days. So I just, the first 20 minutes of my day, I put in my earbuds and I turn on my meditation music and I center myself. And for anybody that doesn't know, centering prayer is like, it's so easy, but it does take practice. Or maybe I should say it's simple, but it's not easy. So you choose a word um, and it could be any word. It could be Jesus or love or peace or doesn't matter, or Holy Spirit. And that's your word to bring you back to the present moment because we we drift so often. You know, we're in the past or in the future or we're daydreaming or, you know, we're all like that. And I still do that every day. I drift off and my word brings me back. And I was just reading this last week that God is in the present moment. And I was like, that is so obvious. And Mm -hmm. I forget that every single day. Like, why am I not in the present moment if I'm really looking for that oil. That's where it is. It's in opening my heart and my life to the presence of God in this moment and now in this moment and now in this moment. And that's what centering prayer is, is just returning to that moment and and that opening. So I started doing that and I am a just a firm believer. I tell anybody that knows me, like you need a daily practice. It doesn't have to look like mine. And as one of our favorite professors and ministers, David Johnson says, it's not one size fits all when it comes yeah. to spiritual practice. It's not like a pair of pants, you know, you, you, right. it, for you, it may be getting out and working in the garden or going on a run or listening to music or walking your dog or you know, scripture study with a friend. I don't, it can be one of a whole host of things, but do something, do something every day and start now. Yeah. Um, And I will say fast forward four years, uh, I would say the last nine months of my life have been the most difficult months of my entire 60 years. And had I not four years ago, committed to that daily practice. And then in the evenings, I don't, I don't I'm not quite as good at staying centered in, at night because I'm really tired, but I do sort of put on some of that meditative quiet music and I sort of give my day to God and give my night to God and give thanks and ask forgiveness and all those things. So I try to end my day every day. I have to, like that's I book in my day that way. If I had not started that four years ago, I don't know how I would have moved through the last nine months and stayed sane. And, you know, when everything falls apart, there's got to be some ground to stand on. And for me, that's that ground. Yeah. Okay. If I don't know anything else, if everything else has just splintered into a million pieces, I can stand here, you know, I can come back to this moment and, and, and this relationship that I'm deepening and, and moving toward and, and 
a part of, and I feel like, okay, that's real and that's safe and solid. Yeah. I love that you were talking about how it's not one size fits all, because I think we can, we can hear other people talking about their spiritual practices and we can think, Oh, why can't I do that? Why can't I, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And I know, I mean, God made us with different personalities and different dislikes and likes. And certainly there are millions of different forms of prayer and millions of different ways to work on our relationships with God. And some of them are going to speak more to some of us than others. There's a book, I think it's called Prayer for People Who Can't Sit Still. (laughs) And I appreciate that title so much because there's an idea about prayer that it has to be a certain way. And it really doesn't. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember, I don't know if this was a generational thing or if it's still happening or if it was just specific to my peer group when I was growing up, but it seems like around middle school, I, for whatever reason, felt all kind of pressure to keep a journal. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting journals as gifts. And, you know, it was like, everyone I knew had a journal. And I hated journaling so much. And I would try to force (laughs) myself to journal. And I just hated Uh, it. Yeah. And I don't, I think it was actually like college when I finally gave myself permission to just throw my journals away and say, you do not have to do this. Mm -hmm. And it was so liberating for me because I just hate journaling. Yeah. And then, and now though, now that I've given myself permission to not do it, I have a journal that. I would say maybe three times a year I'll pick it up and I'll write something in it because it's just Mm -hmm. something that I want to record and not forget. Yeah. But I have given myself the permission to not do it regularly. And now I have kind of, because I'm not pressuring myself to do it regularly, I do enjoy the few times a year that I'll use it. And I will sometimes look back and see things that I've written and I enjoy that. And I've been able to kind of reclaim journaling for myself. And I think people can do that with all kinds of things. Like, you know, people can say, I don't have to sit quietly with my eyes closed and meditate. But then maybe that can be reclaimed in a way that's more sporadic and more suited to what that person needs. Um, Because certainly there's, there's something to be said for trying out all different ways of prayer. Right. And I've realized that one of the things that I'm guilty of in my prayer life is when I try something new, it's fun and different and I like it. And then after a couple of weeks, I'm starting to get bored and mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore. It's not, it's not fulfilling. And I used to, as soon as I didn't like it, I switched Uh And so I would just kind of jump around to different things that would keep my attention. And there's nothing wrong with that. But recently I've decided prayer doesn't always have to be exciting (laughs) because it's prayer. (laughs) Right. So I started this one practice with some daily prayers that 
I, oh, I can't remember how long ago I started it. I think it was in January. And it's just recently started to get boring for me. And mm-hmm. I've decided that I'm going to keep doing it just as an experiment to see if it somehow works its way into my life in unexpected ways. Right. And I don't, I've given myself permission that I don't have to do it forever and ever. Right. But I'm challenging myself to push a little bit beyond the boredom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And see if there's a deepening or a, a, yeah, just see if it changes. I mean, if you think about the whole marriage or intimate partnership metaphor for the kingdom of God and the, the kind of relationship that we're invited into, well, it's not always exciting, is it? Right. Right. There, you know, it starts out that way or there are different parts along the journey where it's like, wow, this is so great. And then there are yeah. other times that are like, ah, yeah. you know, okay, okay, you know, let's do this. It's so, not a wedding party every day. It is not a <laughs> wedding party every day. um but you know if it's a healthy enough relationship you you just keep moving forward you know you keep showing up and i think it's the same with our spiritual discipline you just show up and i've heard writers talk about this like professional writers they um you know if they show up at the same time every day and they say you know butt in chair um computer open or pencil in hand Something will will happen. It may not happen every day, but, you know, the subconscious is like, oh, you're here again. Okay, I guess I'll show up too, you know? Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Anyway, I just think that's fascinating, that sort of whole discipline aspect of, I mean, you don't want to punish yourself. Like you were saying, if you hate journaling, don't do journaling. Right. Um, but if something's getting a little bit stale, maybe stick with it a little bit and then see if it doesn't change or change it up. Um, but just keep, don't stop coming. Don't stop showing up. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm working with my spiritual director on is recognizing things that I do that I have not named as prayer, Mm. but that can be prayer. And so for example, if I'm cooking dinner for my family, I'm not necessarily sitting there thinking, I'm working on my relationship with my family right now, but in a way I kind of am, you know? And so, so I'm working on becoming more intentional with some of the things that I do and even maybe kind of putting on the lens of spirituality that I might not have otherwise, you know, if I took a walk around the neighborhood I might not have actively thought of it as a spiritual act. And so now I'm trying to kind of look through that lens of spirituality when I do things like that. And it is a way to work on your relationship with God that can really, you know, make a difference and fill that, fill that lamp. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, was it Einstein that said either nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. living your life, like washing dishes can I wash mm-hmm. dishes in a prayerful way? When when you make me laugh, you know, or somebody makes me laugh, that can be a kind of prayer, that sort of spontaneous 
joy, you know, when something touches me and makes me weep. There's prayer in that. If, and some of it is just attending to it, paying attention. Oh, what's happening right now? And I've all often thought when tears come and out of the blue, I, I've just decided somehow there's something holy going on right now, mm. either within me or around me, and I just need to pay attention. Um, that's it's like it, it's spirit's language is often tears, you know, of whatever kind of joy, of sorrow, of of just, you know, some kind of tear that you can't quite name what it is. So that's something I'm, I, I often pay attention to as well. Yeah, yeah. When I kind of have grown to appreciate the slowing down that prayer can do, because mm-hmm. we're, I don't know if there is anything slower than prayer, (laughs) not, not that you have to do it slow. Like I know people who jog every day and pray while jogging. So it's, you know, not their body is moving fast, but I'm just talking about the prayer as a way of communication with God is slow. And we're used to more immediate communication between our fellow humans. And this is a, whichever way you do prayer, I think it's usually a pretty slow communication. Yeah. And I have learned to appreciate that. I think it can be frustrating, particularly for people who maybe are just starting out with some prayer practices. I think that can be a real frustration. Yeah. And I think, you know, in our common sort of mythological consciousness is you rub the bottle, the genie pops out, it grants you three wishes, boom, you know? Yep. And so some of us approach prayer that way. Well, I tried it and it didn't work. Right. It's like, hang on, <laughs> you know, um, it's not a magic genie. Um, right. It's, it's a relationship that has to be, or a ladder that you, one rung at a time. You're just, it's, it's, I love that, Amy. It's, it is slow. Yeah. And what an antidote to the pace we're so used to, mm-hmm. you know, how interesting that is probably exactly what we need, but in the middle, especially when things have fallen apart, it can feel like, what am I even doing? What is, is anybody there? Right. You know? Um, and for me, I love about this sermon and this story is I'm, 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 you know, making sure I've got, a little extra oil in my lamp so that maybe I have a little light to see just the next step I need to take. And and that maybe all I'm given is the next step or the next two steps, but I probably won't be given more than that anyway. That's just seems to be how life is. Right. But if I have a little light or if I can shine a little light on your path when you cannot see the way forward, then it is it is worth that slow, steady practice to just to make sure I've got oil when I need it, or when yeah. you need it. Yeah, yeah. Or when we need it, you know. Um, I remember before my former spiritual director died, it seems like the state of the world has been pretty dire for quite a while because we were, you know, she died I think three years ago and. It was the 
you know, a few months before that. And she said, you know, what the world needs are people who are able to sit in the dark, to sit still in the dark and watch for the light to return. Hmm. And um, it's like, in some ways, that's what prayer can feel like, is just sitting in the dark um, and being still. Yeah. Why do you think she said sitting in the dark? Just because that's the way the world is. Yeah. And I think, you know, we so want to rush to where the light is. And it's like, hang on, just sit still. Sit still. And it's almost like those of us who can sit still in the dark expectantly can can be there, can sort of be that beacon that you referenced when we're all in the dark. Okay. My eyes, if my eyes have adjusted, if I've allowed myself the time, and you know, I think it takes about 20 minutes, I've read, for your eyes to adjust to the dark when you've been in a well-lit room. Oh, yeah. And, that makes you sense. know, when you think about how often people say, pray for 20 minutes, I, I've just often heard that time frame used, you know, 20 minutes of meditation, and that seems like a long time. Yeah. Um, but when I think about, oh, that's how long it takes me to adjust to this other way of being in the world, mm. to this other way of connecting that's slower, that's quieter, that I need to really sort of have all my senses ready to watch so that I can see something that may not be visible when I'm just rushing through at a faster pace with electric lights on everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a slow focus. I like that. It is slow. And, you know, you need a lot of patience and courage because sometimes it seems like the the light will never come back. So just trusting it will. It always yeah. has. Yeah. This is a funny little side note, but I found a quote from the Second Helvetic Confession about public prayers, which I just thought was so hilarious. I'll share that hilarious quote in just a minute when we come back. And it's the section is titled The Method to be Employed in Public Prayers. Okay. And it says, As in everything, so also in public prayers, there is to be a standard, lest they be excessively long and irksome. <laughs> Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And then it goes on to say, care is to be taken lest the congregation is wearied by too lengthy prayers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then when they hear the preaching of the gospel, they either leave the meeting or have been exhausted. Yeah, they're done by that point. (laughs) And they want to do away with it all together. So I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, I love that that's in that confession. So it turns out that not all prayer or not all spiritual practices are able to fill our lamps with oil. But we do long for those lamps to be filled. And Nancy talks more about that. And we live with this sort of homesickness our whole lives that we try to 
numb or fill with other things, with retail therapy or with alcohol or with work or with whatever. But that's not the oil. You know, the oil that fills our lamps and readies us for this union that we're moving toward, this divine intimacy that we're made for, that we've come from, the oil of that is, you know, you listed it, you know, ethical living and worship and confession and prayer and scripture study and outreach. Like, I thought those were well listed. That's how we ready ourselves yeah. for the moment. When I love this idea of going back to not a place, but to a relationship. Yeah. That's what we're striving for in the end. Yeah. And it's, it's both now and not yet. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, so it's not a, like, it's not a destination. It's like, it's not heaven someday. So we hope, you know, it's like right now, the kingdom of God is here and it's also coming. Can we open ourselves to that? abundant life that's that's right there for us but but we gotta you know fill the oil put the oil in the lamp yeah next we talked briefly about how the spiritual practices that you might take on to get that spiritual oil about how doing that isn't just about being selfish but instead it's about entering into that relationship that God so deeply desires to have with you and that grounds you, especially at the times when you need it the most. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, It's not about me getting enough oil so I can get to heaven, you know, yay me. It's like, okay, this is who I'm made to be in relationship in this deep, um, intimate relationship with creation and with the creator. It's not just me individual, Nancy. It's me part of crea- part of God's creation, Nancy. And I do wonder, I, I believe this, like when I move more closely into that intimate embrace of the one who made me, the one who made all of this, it changes the atmosphere around me. It changes yeah. my human relationships. It changes or it can change how I uh, interact with creation and the earth and the animals and the resources that I'm using. Like, I, I do think it makes a difference because it shifts the way we see and the way we are in the world. So there's, it isn't just this sort of selfish little me and Jesus journey Right. Uh, which I think it can sort of turn into that. Yeah. And I think that's, no, that's the wrong direction. That's not it. Yeah. It's got to take you beyond that. Yes. And that's how you know you're in it because it moves you toward, you know, it opens your heart. It breaks your heart and opens your heart to other people, to the earth, to the animals, to people on the other side of the world, you know, to the the suffering love of God, like you you start to feel all of that. So I do think there's some risk involved in this that you are opening yourself up 
to that kind of suffering love and that kind of vulnerability when you open your your heart and your life to this this you know holy marriage this holy union you know yeah now did you notice that when the wise bridesmaids were asked can we please have some of your oil they said no you have to go get your own oil and I have to admit when I have always read that in the past I have always thought those bridesmaids are jerks I would have shared my oil right but if you think about it it makes sense because this spiritual oil is not something that you can get from someone else it's unfortunately not something that someone else can give you it really is something that you have to collect for yourself I love that near the end of the story, it says the bridesmaids get the door shut on them. Like, they don't even get to go in. Right. And uh, it seems so uh, unchristlike, you know? Yeah. What happened to the first will be last, <laughs> and the last will be yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, doors closed. Goodbye. But I take that as, what's the word, allegorical? Yeah. I take that as more allegorical. And it's it's more about what happens in our heart, what happens in our life when we don't have the oil in our lamps. And it's, yeah. it's, not, just, it's not just a story about who's going to get into heaven and who's not. And you better work at it now, otherwise door's going to be closed. It's more about what's going on in the here and now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a banquet happening. So let's be ready. Like it's happening. It's, it, it, it's about to happen and it's happening now. And, um, so that practice of, you know, filling my lamp, making sure I'm doing what's mine to do in, in the way that I can find to do it and be it so that when the doors are open, I'm right there. I'm ready, you know, and that benefits everybody. But I do think, yeah, that end of the story is like, oh, gosh. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it for the podcast today. Remember, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace. You can give us a review and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. This is Amy Meyer coming to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. You can find us on our website at www.fpcelgin.org. That's First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations that we are having, and if you think that these kinds of conversations are important, then we invite you to come and join us. Join in on these conversations if you're in the area. And until next time, the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now go and pass the peace to everyone you meet.